Good evening, everybody. It's great to be in here tonight uh, with you on this uh, lovely fall evening. Uh, my name is Pastor Jared, and uh, well, I'm sorry, Pastor Jared Corzine. I have a last name, and Pastor's not my first name, but uh, but my name is Jared Corzine. I've been uh, I've been at Matthias for nine years now as a church, and uh, I know a lot of you. I don't know uh, I don't know some of you, but um, I, I was sitting here thinking tonight as we were just worshiping about uh, how steadfast the Lord has been in my life. And the best thing I can say is that nine years ago, I came to this church as, uh, as just, a, just a guy. I'm still just a man. Nothing else has really happened to me, but um, I came here uh, just needing help. And I was broken in a whole lot of ways. And my life had started over, and uh, a good buddy with uh, some spiky blonde hair just said, hey, you know, the, the doors are open whenever you want to come, come hang with us. And so I'm, I'm, I think back on that man, and, and I just remember that it, it wasn't always like this. When I think about my life, when I think about how much has happened in nine years, and how much will happen over the next nine years, how much all of our lives are like this, it, it wasn't always this way. And we have much to be thankful for because the Lord remains the same. Uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and he will be the same uh, tomorrow for every one of us. Uh, last week where we picked up, uh, where Pastor Mark uh, left us off in the first half of Joshua 4 was this uh, first slide. It says, or it may be a text slide, this is where we left off. Remembering what God has done is worth the effort. Remembering what God has done is worth the effort. You know, the hard work of, of carrying stones for, for miles in order to remember what the Lord has done in times to come. Uh, we pick up back on that story tonight, but I begin thinking about memory and how important something like memory is. I would contend with you that we are uh, remembering things a very high significant amount of our time each day. We spend remembering things. Whether you realize it or not, you're thinking back on things that have happened in your life, certain things you may encounter that may trigger memories and, and put you back into a place where you, uh, you feel like you, you've gone back or you go back to some place where it, it reminds you of, of some time again. There, there's some things that happen every year that when they come out, they, they remind you, you see something, you taste something, you smell something, and it just reminds you that it's a certain time of the year. And uh, one thing, the first thing I would throw up is this first picture. Uh, this may remind some of you uh, what time of year it is, because this, uh, these are all pumpkin spice uh, items. So it's, you know, you've got your pumpkin spice latte, you've got pumpkin spice M&Ms, Pop-Tarts, coffee creamer. I have never had pumpkin spice Pringles, but they sound disgusting. They sound terrible. Uh, I have to, to give some credence. Is anybody in here really, really dislike pumpkin spice as a flavor, I feel so bad for you for like the next two months because everything that you see in the store is pumpkin spice. But the first time somebody mentions it or I smell it, it just brings me back like, oh man, it's a little colder outside. It, it brings my memory back to, man, we're, we're here in fall. Uh, next thing, something else that brings us back is this. Now I have to explain this. Uh, this is not a real picture from my phone. This is actually Michael Phelps on the right. Uh, back during the Olympics, there was these um, GoPro video shots that the U.S. swim team would do where they would be singing car ride karaoke. And so, uh, not so much singing karaoke, but I think about the power of music. 
and what music does to bring us back to some other, some other place. I remember one time my mom got out a bunch of old records when I was a kid, and it was after she had bought a record player, and it's the first one that she had had since I had been born. And I remember the whole night she just kept playing like records over and over. It was like she wasn't even in the same room. Like she was back in like 1972 or something. It's, it's like going back to just a different place. Music can do that uh, to you. I, I am curious. I mean, if, if, if I was driving through Orchard Farm right now, uh, outskirts of St. Charles out here, all farmland, if you put on, if, if I was in my car or my van now that I have, and if I was going to put on some ACDC and rock it in my van and drive through Orchard Farm, I would feel like I'm back home. Like it's Friday night, it's football game, we're going with it. Uh, any, any shout out, does anybody have like a certain song or something that you hear that it just reminds you of high school? Say, say, it, say it like you're proud. Just let's hear one. Ice Ice Baby. Where did you go to high school? That's, I, maybe one more. What's one more song that, that takes you back? Rick, rickshaw? Riffshaw. Rift Shop. I'm going to have to write that one down afterwards, I think. I'm going to have to write that one down. It, but, you know, these things, they, they do that. Um, they, they take you back to a place in, in which other things maybe can't do that. But, but memory... The things that we remember are so uh, powerful. Uh, give me one second. Because I actually brought something tonight that brings me back a little bit. Now, some of you guys might not know what this is. Apparently, these aren't like a big deal anymore. When I was in, when I was in high school, yeah. When I was in high school, uh, letterman jackets, like we wore these things. And they were so expensive. I was, you know, like 14, 15 when my mom got it. So I didn't know that she had to like like give her leg up in order to get one of these things. But, but we get this and then you wear it around, man. I, I, this morning for the very first time, there's a dry cleaning, uh, plastic over it. And, uh, so I haven't, I haven't even like gotten this thing out in over 10 years, 15 years, something like that. So I got it out this morning and I, I just smelled it. And all of a sudden I just went back. I went back to Orchard Farm. I was like, I was, I was going back to, uh, football games and, and playing, man, just looking at the patches, remembering like what, what, what teams did and how we got there. Do you, do you think I should try it on? All right. We'll, we'll give this a shot. We'll give this a shot. Ooh. Now I will say, I will say, I, I, there's a need for explanation. I've been this same size since I was 14 years old. So you should know that this is totally normal. This is totally normal. I've got space to go. Man, I could, I could start wearing this tomorrow. Now, you, you know what happens, though, because some people, uh, you think about high school especially, you think um, there's a difference between remembering and nostalgia. Now, I would say remembering is where you are brought back into a time in your life in order to um, experience something that it, it would remind you of who you are today. It would affect how you live today. And nostalgia is something different. A lot of us know people who are overly nostalgic maybe about their high school years. Still talking about, man, if I wouldn't have dropped that pass against North Callaway, we would have gone to state. You know what I mean? Like still living there. Can't quite get back out of there. And nostalgia is different because it's a means of escape. It's not a means of becoming more alive. It's a means of, of running from what today is and staying there. Um, tonight is all about memory. Memories are powerful. I am going to take this off because I think it's, it's, it's not hot in here, but this jacket is... Still warm. Um, memory is a powerful thing, but 
Uh, I believe where, whereas last week we, we began wrestling with the truth that the work of, of remembering is worth the effort of remembering what God has done, I would say tonight that um, it can be hard to remember the truth about God in ourselves. It is, it is easier to remember lies. It's way easier to remember lies just left to our own devices. But the work of remembering isn't just remembering in general. It's, it's listening to who the Lord says he is and who we are and being willing to, to, to submit to that and let that inform how we live today. So if you can, open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4 is where we're going to pick up again. Uh, amazing story last week. Uh, Pastor Mark uh, preached, as he always does, um, very dedicated man to the Lord. Um, I, I, I appreciate serving with, serving with men and women in this church that are committed uh, to the gospel. And I'm absolutely blessed by that. So this story last week set up where the Lord told Joshua, he said, so appoint 12 men from one of each of the 12 tribes. They had been wandering in the wilderness finally for 40 years. They come to the Jordan River, which is the boundary from the wilderness and the promised land. And he says, appoint 12 men because um, after I do this thing, you're going to have to remember this thing. And, and what the Lord says he's going to do is he's going to part the water. And so uh, he tells the 12 men to, uh, to each gather a stone. They set up a, a memorial in the middle of the river. And it seems likely that they also set up a memorial outside of the river. Because then after they leave, which we're going to read tonight, the, the river starts flowing again. And it says uh, last week in the passage that in that memorial uh, stone that altar that's built in the river stands there to this day. And then we're going to see what the, what the people do after they come up and come through uh, the river. So would you guys pray with me? And then we're going to get into a great story. God, we uh, thank you tonight that you are faithful. You're faithful to your word. You're faithful to us. God, and you showed that in your son, Jesus. And so I pray tonight that we would be brought back uh, to remember what he has done, to remember your faithfulness in order to be provided for in such a way that we could be led by your spirit, and live faithful today for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Joshua chapter 4, we're going to go verses 11 to the end of the chapter tonight. It says this, And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. So these three tribes... They, they pass over. Um, first, they start to go before the people because they're the ones that way back in the book of Exodus, Moses, who has since died, had told them, you're going to be the ones who need to be equipped to fight. You're going to be the warrior tribes. You're going to be the ones who go first. So you have these, uh, these three tribes armed to the teeth uh, with what weapons? I don't know. Probably pretty powerful ones, powerful sticks, powerful stones. I don't know. They didn't have guns back then, you know, but they were armed and they were ready, 40,000 of them going through. In verse 13, it says about 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. If you'll remember a couple chapters ago, Rahab, the prostitute that has a name, uh, spied out, uh, it did reconnaissance on behalf of the Israelite spies in Jericho. They're going to Jericho. The, the scene of the story is forever directed at this point to Jericho. They're crossing the river and they know exactly the direction that they're going into toward Jericho. Verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. They stood in awe of the one in whom God was working through. 
their mediator, their covenant mediator. But it highlights this for me. Receiving God's blessing uh, oftentimes is just the beginning of the battle. I mean, think about this. They, God is, I mean, these people for, for a very, very long time, for 40 years at least just for these people who are coming to the land now, for 40 years they've heard stories again and again and again about how the Lord was going to bring them to the promised land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, that they would be set up as a nation, that he would be their God, they would be his people. Now, they finally get here and they take it on, but the first thing they do, they step foot in this land for the first time, and they have to get ready to fight. There's three things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave with you tonight, three things that I want us all to remember. The first one is this. The moment of salvation begins the battle for you and for me. And think about this. Before you're saved, before the Spirit gives you faith, before you believe that Jesus is Lord, like we just sang, uh, the one Lord, before that, there is no battle. I mean, you may struggle in life, but there's no battle in the sense of, of finally being exposed to the fact of, of sin and, and how, how our sin pits us against the Father, but then because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we're united with the Father. We're in the promised land with him, so to speak. We're never, ever, ever cast out of that with the Father, but that begins the fight. It begins when you uh, see certain aspects of your life that don't line up with who you know yourself to be now in, in Christ. It begins the battle. We had, had, a, had a brother in our Lot family on Sunday morning, so proud of him, was able to share uh, that after a 16-year battle with a pornography addiction and much, much uh, uh, Christian counseling, a lot of accountability. He's been through Exodus groups. He's, he's, he's been fighting the battle for quite some time. Uh, he, he didn't share on Sunday that he's been miraculously delivered. What he did share, which I would say is equally amazing, is that the Lord has provided uh, funding, a time off work, acceptance from his parents, uh, funding even from his parents totally for this to be able to continue to fight the battle in a deeper way and go to an addiction rehabilitation center, a Christian center down in Georgia for three months. And we, and we, we sat there and we listened to him sharing this. And I just thought, man, I'm so proud of you. It is so brave to have that kind of confidence to say, yes, Lord, I will go because I, I, I cannot stand for this anymore in my life. And I've tried all the other things. So I, I mean, we have to celebrate the miracles when the, when the Lord miraculously delivers people from things because he can do that. At the same time, he can give people enough boldness to cut off their arm or to gouge out their eye because it's, it causes them to sin. My goodness, the, the amazing stories that we can share in law family, in community, together within this church are amazing if we would just share them. My goodness, what that did in our group to begin to embolden the rest of us to realize, man, the things that we're up against, that, that God is with us, that we can go as, as he's going in our own life, man, it's just the beginning of the battle. Now, the, the joy of following Jesus is because of the Holy Spirit, you can't lose the battle. You know, we don't, we don't believe it's not the doctrine that this church adheres to in any way that you can lose your salvation, so engaging in the battle isn't engaging believing that you can be cast out of the promised land or engaging believing that you can be cast away based on your performance in the battle. No, Jesus has already fought the ultimate battle. But until he comes back, we have an opportunity to fight. There will be one day when Christ returns where everybody will see that he rules and reigns. Sin will be vanquished. Death will be no more. Former things is what Revelation 21 calls them. But until that day, we can fight. 
knowing that we belong here together, but we can fight believing that the Lord has a better way for us together. So the first thing is remember that the moment of salvation begins the battle. Uh, Joshua continues on in verse 15. He says, and the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark. Remember, the priests are standing in the middle of a river, uh, which takes a tremendous amount of faith. I don't know about you, but if a guy says, hey, pick up this big, heavy golden box and bring it, stand in the middle of the river, I, I think I would need to think about that for a minute, you know. But they've been standing there. There have been hundreds of thousands of Israelites who have passed on by on, on this dry land. As the priests have been standing, they're rocking the ark, standing in the mud. And they pass through. So in verse 14, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests come up out of the Jordan. I love that Joshua tells them no more, no less than what God says. Just come up. It's God who's still directing this thing with his word behind the scenes through Joshua. Verse 18, when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. So last week in the earlier part of the chapter, we read that the Jordan is actually in flood stage right now. This is flood season. And and a a natural, rational human mind would say, well, God, I know that uh, you want us to cross over, you know, into the promised land, but there's a river here. I don't know if you've seen that. I mean, maybe what we can do is we can camp out here for about a year and build a bridge. That would be really smart. We can build a bridge and get on over. That would be awesome. No, the Lord has tremendous intentionality of having them cross during this season because it's overflowing. And you know who everybody in Canaan thinks runs the river and is in charge of the water? Who? It's called Baal or the many Baals. They have all these gods, all these Baal gods that they think controls the water, controls the rain, controls agriculture, controls all these things. And all of a sudden, this, this band of, of hundreds of thousands of Israelites come up out of the wilderness, probably not smelling too great, probably not looking too great. They're not much to see, the scripture says elsewhere. But they come up and they, they, their God stops the Jordan River. And they walk over on dry land. So the question is, whose God wins in this episode? The Canaanite Baal gods or the one true God? I'm going, to take the, I'm going to put my stock on the one true God because the Israelites walk through on dry ground. Um, God is doing something here that cannot be explained by what would seem natural to the Canaanites. You know, because Baal would have never been able to stop the Jordan before. I mean, the, the, the other so-called gods aren't even, aren't even real gods worth worshiping, so they probably don't even exist. You know what I mean? So they're, they're worshiping something that's, that's fake, This whole thing would go against natural reasoning. Uh, it, it reminds me that, that our God is not held under some standard of what is, what is natural based on the laws of the world. And I'm a, I'm a science guy. I love science, you know. Um, but my goodness, like the, the truth of Scripture is that anything that happens out there is underneath God's control, not the other way around. So the Lord is doing something that is absolutely going against the grain of what their natural reasoning would say in Canaan. And oftentimes in our lives, he does things and he is able to do more than we ask or think, despite what we think is naturally allowable in the world around us. Uh, Second thing that I want to remember tonight with you is this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ seems crazy. 
this is a bit of a confession. We can just air this out. It seems crazy. I mean, a God who stops a river shows that, that the way people thought this all could work out in, in this land of Canaan, didn't, that, that, that's not the rules that he plays by. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, it seems crazy. I struggle so much with this concept of faith at times in my life because it, it still doesn't make sense, like in my flesh, in my natural self, it doesn't seem like this is how it should be. Uh, in the ancient world, everybody had stories about their gods, and their gods did amazing things, but their gods created because they were bored or they would bring down rain and showers and things like that for people because they were tired of hearing them complain, like the gods were, were the bad side of human beings. It's only the one God that we read about in Scripture that actually solves the problem of sin by sending himself in the form of his son down and gives of himself to vanquish sin. This is a very unique gospel story. This is the most unique gospel story. And it goes countercultural to everything that we believe is true that you should fight to get your own, that you should uh, earn yours with, without having to, to give of yourself, that, that everything at the expense of someone else is how you should go about getting your way by any means, means necessary. The gospel of Jesus Christ seems crazy. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. As a Christian, now I see it. It makes sense. But everything in the world around us, this doesn't agree with that. Which is why it's so hard to believe. And I just want to encourage you that if you are struggling in your faith, because this whole thing, man, it seems too good to be true. Maybe it almost is too good to be true, except it is true. So I see two options, because I still feel kind of crazy a lot of times. I mean, what's the ultimate hope of my life that I will stake everything on? It's that God came in the form of a man named Jesus who walked on this earth, lived the life that is representative of all mankind who would believe in him, died to pay the price for sin for the world and was raised to defeat death. Now, oh, and by the way, now in bodily form, he sits up with the Father in heaven right now. There's nothing crazy about that. It seems absolutely ludicrous. So I think I have two options. Uh, number one, I, I seem crazy to the world around me until I die, and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Or... I seem crazy. I mean, I seem crazy both ways in this. I seem crazy until the day I die, and maybe, just maybe, this whole thing is, is way more true than we can ever think. If I'm wrong, then I'm not losing anything. I'm just living like the rest of the world. I, I'm ending up where that is. But my friends, we're here tonight because we believe that the gospel is true. And we believe that it costs us uh, some things in the world around us at times. You're going to get looked at funny. You're going to get responded to funny. Even Christians are going to struggle to, to wrestle with this sometimes when you really do the Jesus thing. When his sacrifice and the spirit embodies in you, it will seem crazy at times, but that's okay. I just want to give you permission that if you feel crazy, you're, you're in the right spot. And if you felt crazy for other reasons, then you're still probably in the right spot. We're great having you here tonight. 
let's just all be crazy for this thing, man. It's just, let's just, okay, let's just be crazy together. A God who stops a river seems crazy in Joshua's day. Uh, And a gospel of Jesus Christ in which this is how sin is dealt with, this is the hope we have, it's more crazy than anything else the world has ever known. But so be it. Because the world had nothing to give toward the answer of sin, only God did. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is crazy, and so are we. Verse 19, Joshua continues on. The people came up out of the Jordan, so they all go through. And on the tenth day of the first month, and then they they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. So they, they go through the river. They come up out of it, and they're already heading toward Jericho. They camp outside of it. We're going to see some things that go down in Jericho soon enough in, in days to come in, in, this, uh, in this wonderful book. But they come up out of the river. It says, on the 10th day of the first month. The reason why memory, I think, plays so strong in this passage tonight is because from this point on, God, I mean, he doesn't do anything in this story that he basically hasn't already done before. There's, the only other times in Scripture that the 10th day of the first month is mentioned is when uh, they come up out of the Red Sea, back in the book of Exodus, and it says on the 10th day of the first month, they began to prepare to celebrate the Passover. So what this already says is that, is that as this new generation goes through the river, as they come up out on the other side, Joshua already gives us this amazing literary clue to say, oh, and by the way, it was the 10th day of the first month. You know what that means. This is a celebration of a new freedom. That, ju- that just as they would have gone through the water and come up out on the other side and the Lord would have led them in that in- into a new way of life, into a new freedom, this is exactly what is happening for this generation. It wouldn't be new to these people. This would have been the story for the folks that have heard about the Red Sea for 40 years. This second generation who, by the way, uh, almost all of everybody crossing over uh, was born in the wilderness because the first generation died off for their sin. Everybody except for Moses and Joshua and Caleb, and Moses is dead. So Joshua and Caleb would have seen this with their own eyes one other time. But everybody coming, coming up now who would have been hearing these stories about this, this God who, who parted the Red Sea, finally they get to see this for themselves. Every, everybody has to see it for themselves. Everybody has to see it for themselves. So the camp at Gilgal in verse 20, and those 12 stones, remember those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Again, he said this earlier in the passage. When your children ask you, which means that the parents are are doing the work of bringing their children back by where these stones are set up, intentionally bringing them back here so that they would ask the questions. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Verse 22, then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. And you got to remember, in times to come, they're just going to see a raging river going by. And the kid's going to look up and say, you said what? Like the river wasn't here? No, it was here, but God stopped the river. You see how crazy that makes you start to look as a parent. Believe me, son, it's true. I was there. The Lord did this amazing thing. So Israel passed over on dry ground, verse 23. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan until you passed over. As the Lord your God to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. You see a theme here? Verse 24. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
so that all the peoples of the earth may know. Which implies what? That the truth of what God has done has always been passed on through storytelling. As the Israelites tell the story again and again of what their God has done, uh, the, the design is that the peoples around them would encounter the stories as well, and they would learn how to tell the stories. And like Rahab, they would learn how to respond well and say, we know that your God is the God of all things. We know that his hand is mighty. So this isn't the first time that God has done any of these things. He's had a Passover before on the 10th day of the first month. And, and God did this exact same thing, basically, in the Red Sea. So it makes me think about this. I mean, the people's response, if you were there, how would you respond to this whole thing? You would be worshiping, you would be in awe, you would see God do something that you had never thought possible before. But you shouldn't be surprised. We have reason to worship, but we shouldn't be surprised. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, Last thing that... I want to encourage us to remember tonight is this. The truth about who God is and who you are, we're called to remember that, not to remember lies. We're called to remember and to respond, not to get lost in nostalgia. Not to idol worship a former time when things were, were, quote, the golden days, when those days, frankly, never exist. To remember the truth about who God is and who you are is difficult at times for a Christian. It's impossible for a non-Christian. Think about this. Before you come to faith, whether it's 7, 17, 27, 47, 87, Lord willing, like 97, that would be amazing. You live all those years believing one story about the world around it, and your place in it. And it's not true. I mean, you may experience hints of truth here and there. You may, you may experience hints of, of something uh, like love in, in a family or in a relationship, maybe in a marriage. You may experience echoes or shadows of something, but never the reality, never the true reality. So you go your whole life only knowing technically what could be called a lie. And then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, one day, you believe. And then you realize that everything you've lived in is not the way it really is. So then you have to do the work of remembering the truth of who God is and who you are. And if you're a Christian for two days, that's very difficult because you only have two days of personal experience of a resume to work on there, right? So, I mean, you can, you can like, start checking the marks on your wall, like, well, today God did this. Okay, Tuesday God did this, and that, that's amazing. But, but we have another way of remembering what's true, and that's what we have in Scripture. So as somebody who doesn't even need to be a Christian for very long at all, until the end of my life, However, my experience has played out. I have access to the true story. To the true story where God says that this is who I am, who never changes, by the way. And this is who you are, my people. And we have to be very, very careful to let him define who he is and who we are. We have to be so careful. It's so different, uh, it's so difficult to do this if you're not a Christian. Because, I mean, what does the world believe out there about God and about 
us as human beings. It's not what, it's not what the Lord says. Uh, walking in, the, the scripture slide, the slide that was up there, the world's not telling us that we're children of God. And there's a lot of narratives that we all inherit, whether it's in our families, in our jobs, in our friendships, out in public, that would say that, well, you have to actually do this, this, and this in order to be acceptable. You have to do this, this, and this in order to live the good life. And the good life in America is very different than the good life everywhere else. Or you have to do this, this, and this to work your way up the ladder to, to actually live a meaningful life. And all of a sudden you realize that all of that actually is a lie. So we have a choice. Are we going to remember, even if we've never personally experienced it before until we believe, are we going to remember, do the hard work of remembering what's true and do the hard work of, of learning and putting ourselves back in the story to dive into scripture, to dive into prayer, to, to see, to allow that to, to, to work through us to see the world in a totally different way? Are we going to allow that to dictate what's true? Or are we going to, as Christians, default back to lies? When I, when I was talking coming up about what a difference nine years makes. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I don't know if it's just my perspective on this or not, but I come here as a single man, broken in a lot of ways, still broken in. I mean, the Lord is working on me. I get that. But man, I'm, I'm still so far, just like the rest of you guys, so far from having everything super figured out. Uh, but God has been good. So, my wife and I, uh, I've shared this story before. I mean, we were both married before. Uh, we are both married now, you know, t- together. I mean, I, I should say that. Um, you know, but we were both married before. And I, I'm, I'm, I'll just give you a glimpse into the way I am. I'm not always one of those blessings that's just like all roses and like, amazing and easy and nice. I'm, I'm, I've got some thorns and thistles. Like, that's how I'm kind of a blessing at times to her. Like, the Lord blessed her with me and, and me with her. And God would still be exactly who he is if he had never done that. Uh, but there's times when we get into an argument. We do this occasionally. Uh, she's, she's smiling right now because it, it can happen frequently. You know, if 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 you like bundle up all the personality tests and all the things that we've done the work in searching, you would get to learn we value the exact same things, we care about the exact same things, but we process it, we see it, we talk about it, we work through it in exactly opposite ways, which means that we have a lot of opportunities to have conflict. And sometimes, just sometimes, she can do or say something that can take me back, but not in a good way that can remind me of the way my first wife was. And, and just before you think that, you know, I'm not saying, don't, don't think that I'm the jerk here because I know, I know that I do things that at times make her, they, they give her that instant memory. They take her back to, well, just like him. And I'll say this, man, it, it is such a hard but a good work to fight, to believe what, is true, to believe that, that, that those old stories weren't the end of the story, uh, to believe that the Lord worked through our lives in such wonderful ways, to bring us to what is true. Um, 
And, and Joshua in this passage, I mean, he, he, gives, he gives the elders this charge that when your children ask in a time to come, what do these stones mean? Or maybe more, more importantly, what do these stones mean? Like they're all really confused. And we've talked about this before. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, you think about it, we could go our whole lives and never, ever, ever tell our, tell our children. Two sons and one on the way, we don't know what it is yet. We know it's only one. So we know we're going to have three. That's awesome. But I don't, I don't know if I had told you that. We're, she's pregnant with number three, so there you go. <laughs> we're really, I am really excited about I should say, I'm very excited about this. So anyway, but we could go through, well, there are two boys, and whatever number three is, you know, we could go our whole life and make the decision to never tell them what happened before we were married. And we could probably get away with it. We would have to leave this church and disavow ourselves from all of our friends that have been a part of our lives along the way, but we could probably get away with it. But what happened is a good story. And it's a story through which uh, I figured out and through which she was uh, exposed over and over again. Both of us were, were brought to this idea that, man, there is, everything is so broken and there's times when I am so much of a part of that brokenness. But God was so faithful to me. So faithful. See, the Israelites, when they come upon this Jordan River, they shouldn't be surprised because he is the God who parts rivers. He's, he's the God who, who gives freedom. He's the God who sends his people, who provides for them to be where he wants them to be and to do what he wants them to do. It wasn't always like this. <laughs> Some things can cause us to remember lies, though, instead. Things that we remember and we think they're true, but they're really not true. Uh, here's some things that I want to put up here. Things that cause us to remember lies about God and ourselves instead of truth. There could be more. The broken world around us tells a totally different story. Lies and sin of others against us. There, there have been terrible, terrible sin committed against people in this room. And it has affected so much and left to your own devices apart from believing that God is who he says he is and learning who he is and staying committed to who he is. All of that can get jaded because of the ways you've been sinned against. Our sin against others does the exact same thing. Times where I hurt somebody or say something or do something that, that affects them, that is sin against them, uh, there, there's a moment where I can be tempted to say, well, this is just who you really are. And it's not true. It's just simply not true. How about habitual or familiar sin? Maybe, maybe habitual sin where, where this is chronic, non-stopping, familiar, where maybe you're a lifelong addict, maybe you've been 20 years without a certain thing, but then you, you fall into something one time and it all comes back, all that old identity that's not true anymore. What about putting my confidence in my abilities, either positive or negatively? Get this, this is, uh, I've been reading the Old Testament prophets for about six months, almost exclusively, and this is what I'm firmly convinced more than anything else, that the people are not special at all, except for the fact that God stays committed to them. They deserve to die like everybody else in the world, but he chose what is low in the world 
to shame what seems wise. He chose to humble the world by making an example out of the most unlikely of people to work redemption through, like the Israelites, like you and me. It's easy to think that God loves me if I perform better. It's easy to think that God loves me less when I'm more aware of my sin. What about this last one? Letting other voices be louder than God's. A lot of voices. Some audible, and some you can just feel them. A lot of voices trying to tell you and me who God is and who we are. And they don't get to. God, every single day, is communicating, speaking in so many different forms, namely, especially in his word, which we always have access to. He is telling us, reminding us, wanting us to remember, wanting us to go back to who he is and who we are, who we really are. See, these Israelites are crossing into the promised land, and they're no different than the Canaanites, except for their God has covenanted to be with them. On a daily basis, and I'm not exaggerating in this, on a daily basis, I encounter one question more than any others. And sometimes I just sense it, and I know that it's there. And sometimes I vocalize it, and I just say this to them. This, this is the question right here. Do I believe God loves me? I mean, really, if I sit in that, do I really believe that God loves me? Do I believe that he is who he says he is? Do I believe that he says who I am? Do I believe that that is true? Because there are so many lies, and that's just one of them, that he would love me if only, or he would love me more if only. My friends, God loves his people so much, and he knows that they will sin. He knows that they will fall. He knows that they they don't have what it takes. And so in the right time, in the fullness of time, he sends his son, one of us, to represent us before the Father. And as we get closer and closer to the ultimate promised land, when Christ comes to fix all of this, then on that day, all of this will be changed. But until that day, we have to do the hard work of remembering who he is and who we are. Because then what he does, it won't be a surprise. It won't be surprising. It'll be more and more cause for worship in your life and in mine. So here's, here's how I want to wrap up tonight. I, I want to say a series of scriptures, just a sampling of ones that I've gone through that say things about the Lord from his own mouth, that say things about you and I that not only label us, have implications for us. We've already seen walking in here that, that we are children of God, and so we are. Behold, we just have to give up and accept that. But as we go through and read these, I, I'm going to read the scripture, and then there's an all portion that, that I'm going to ask anybody who's a Christ follower. If you're not, you don't have to say this. But maybe, just maybe, you would want to say it. 
And we're going to say these things together to affirm who God is and who we are. Second so Samuel 7. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And then together, our God is the only God. There is none like you. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. Because of Christ, your wrath is satisfied. You show us compassion and remove our sins from us. Isaiah 49, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. You will never forget us, leave us, or forsake us. Ezekiel 37, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Our sin does not stop you from saving us and making us your people forever. 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And together, though we did not deserve it or ask for it, you sent your son to exchange our sin for his righteousness all because you are love. He's the only one who gets to say who he is and who we are. And I I wish we could understand just a little bit more tonight that he is better and more loving and more good than anything we could ever comprehend. And he, at the same time, because of his own free will, chooses to love and delight in you and me so much because of his son, Jesus. So tonight we have an opportunity to worship, not not because we're just here, but because, because we've seen a little more of who he is and who he says we are. May our faith be totally in Christ tonight.